is the Rebel Author Podcast, where we talk about books, business, and occasionally bad words. Hello, Rebels, and welcome to episode 188 of the Rebel Author Podcast. Today, I'm speaking to Ruby Scott all about writing erotic fiction. And if you can hear scatty kitties in the background, (laughs) Duke's got the wind up his ass and is scooting all around the house on his claws. So apologies in advance. Last week's question was, what have you enjoyed doing this year? Katie underscore Scribbles says, I think I've had the most fun prioritising fun reads again and committing to a reading goal. I used to only read non-fiction self-help books to fix myself and that was horrible. Kerry Hardisky says, I have enjoyed building up my newsletter on a platform called Substack. There's an option for readers to pay sort of like Patreon. I recently I recently shared an old fan fiction that people really seem to enjoy and next month I'm releasing a fantasy adventure story which is super that's super cool this week's question is what will you have done written or published by the end of the year I would love to know what you are going to commit to for the rest of this year The book recommendation of the week this week is Dark Matter by Blake Crouch. Now, this is not (laughs) my normal kind of read. I don't really read thrillers. I don't really read um, crime anymore. I used to, but uh, I don't tend to read it too much these days. Uh, But I decided that I would give Dark Matter a go. I uh, wanted to try and read outside of my genre, uh, or at least for one book. And hey, oh my goodness me, I picked a good one. So Dark Matter by Blake Crouch is a what it, it's kind of like Inception, but in book form. Inception, thrillery kind of version of Inception, along with like physics. That's that's all I can say. And it was utterly gripping. I listened to it on audio and I consumed it in, I don't know, a couple of days, to be honest. I, I just could not put it down. It was so, so good. So I really recommend. Um, if you don't read that, then try stepping outside your box like I did, because I thought it was brilliant. So in personal news and updates, I have been working on the edits this week of the second book in the Girl Game series, so A Game of Romance and Ruin. I am aiming to be finished by Sunday. It is Thursday today. (laughs) I've still got a lot of book to go, (laughs) but I have the weekend to work on it, so I am very hopeful that that will be done. I have also been uh, creating a new course structure. So I am pretty sure I'm going to be recording a course fairly soon, uh, either May or June. I just need to work out, um, I just need to finish this draft and then I'll make a decision on which whether book three comes first or if uh, the course comes first. Either way, it will be done before summer. Um, and I am super excited about this course. I feel like this might be the best course I've ever done. I feel like it's not a book, by the way. I don't. I haven't done it in book format, so it's brand new content, and ah, I'm really excited. So I am going to be doing that, and I will be telling you more about that uh, really soon. Oh my gosh, I, you can even hear the excitement in my voice to actually do this course. I am super pumped for it. And when I was creating the outline at the weekend, I, I got quite giddy and excited about doing it. So um, yeah, I'm I'm super excited to just get this book done so that I can get onto that. Um, and, and I think I'm doing this because I can't quite choose which nonfiction book to write next. So um, 
I know I'm supposed to be doing the villain's journey and I do want to do the villain's journey, but I just kind of feel like I haven't quite formulated my thoughts around everything that I'm trying to say with it. So anyway, I this is this is the clusterfuck of where I am at the moment. <laughs> so I have been doing the editing and once I finish editing this weekend, it will be all go on kind of like planning out the rest of the year. I do have a, a loose plan for the rest of this year, but um, things keep changing, stuff keeps coming up and... Um, I don't know, I'm trying to keep going with the flow. For those of you that read sapphic fiction, I am going to be at the South Coast Sapphic uh, event, which is uh, a, a event in, I think it's Crawley, I want to say. <laughs> I should find out. Uh, and uh, it's just basically a lot of sapphic, different sapphic, sapphic authors uh, all getting together with readers. So if you are in the south of the UK and you want to come, I will leave a uh, link uh, and information in the show notes. Another quick announcement. I am going to be in Las Vegas for the 20 Books to 50K conference in November. Uh, I, I I should be booking my flights this week, so that is very exciting. I would love to meet as many of you as possible. So if you are going to the 20 Books to 50K conference this November, so that's November 2023, please do let me know. Okay, the rebel of the week this week is Charlotte. Charlotte says, I'm not 100% certain this counts as a full rebellion, but when I was a teenager, I decided to, I was going to do a charity event. At the time, I was very femme presenting with brown hair that went almost to my waist. And I decided the best way to raise money was not to just shave my head for charity, but to get a full mohawk shaved head on the sides and all. Oh, oh my God, this is totally a rebellion. I love it. The only downsides were that I lived in the very north of Scotland, Orkney Islands, look them up, and it was November. Oh, everybody tried to talk me out of this, parents, teachers, concerned adults, who saw the charity tin as at my part-time job, the whole lot. I refused to be swayed though, and when the day came, I raised over £300 for charity, no, no small feat on an island, and I got my hair cut, sides shaved, and remain, remaining hair styled up on stage by the very nice hairdresser who came in to assist with the event. My head was cold, but I was victorious, and the charity had more money than the other school event had raised, so I rocked my bald side head until the end of November, then disappeared under woolly hats for December until I grew some fuzz back. <laughs> I love that. And I love that you did it for a good cause too. I think that's incredible. If you would like to be a rebel of the week, please do send in your story. It can be any kind of rebellion, something big, something small, or something in between. It doesn't even have to be your rebellion. You can email your story to Becca over on rebelauthorpodcast at gmail.com. Welcome and a huge thank you to new patron Paulette Stout. And of course, a gigantic thank you to all of my existing patrons. If you would like to support the show and get early access to all of the episodes, as well as bonus content, you can from as little as $2 a month by visiting patreon.com forward slash Sasha Black. This episode is sponsored by Pro Writing Aid. But rather than me tell you all about it, I'm going to let Kimberly Grimes tell you all about it. Kimberly is a YA author and was also one of the Rebel Anthology authors. So let me play a word from her. I've had Pro Writing Aid for years now and frequently use the web editor program to check what I've written in my emails and newsletters. When checking my stories, either directly in Microsoft Word through the add-in feature or in the web editor on the Pro Writing Aid website, ProWriting Aid is my go-to resource for grammar and spelling checks. And as much as I love the grammar and spelling checks, that's only half of what their editing software can do. 
Some of my favorite tools Prorating Aid offers are the overused words, echo words, and sentence length features. I've recommended Prorating Aid to many of my author friends, as well as many of my friends and family who are not writers. Not only is this program a must-have, but it's also a sanity saver. Okay, that's enough from me this episode. Let's get on with the interview. Hello, and welcome to the Rebel Author Podcast. Today, I'm joined by Ruby Scott. Ruby lives in a quiet village nestled in the Scottish hills with her wife, Angie, and their furry little girl, Bailey. As an avid reader, she got up one day, had an extra cup of coffee, and thought, I'm going to write a book. It's amazing where an extra cup of coffee can take you because Ruby has now published over 20 books across her two sapphic pen names, Ruby Scott and Frankie Duncan. With the latest series, An Awakening of Desire, moving her into the realms of erotic romance with a little added kink. Endless curiosity combined with a love of traveling and books, Ruby is never uh, without adventure and she invites you to join her. Hello and welcome. Hello, good morning. I'm delighted to be here. Thank you so much for coming uh, on the show. So before we dive into uh, the topic today, would you like to tell everyone a little bit about you and your journey? Like, how did you get to where you are today? Okay, Um, I'm probably a little bit different from most um, authors who who seem to have started at a very early age because I didn't come to this until um, the beginning of the pandemic. It's always been something that I... In the back of my head, I thought I'd love to do, but I'd never had the time and it was always put in the back burner. Um, but I've always been a bit of a storyteller. Lots of people would say that. Um, and very much a communicator in every career I've had, and I've had quite a few of them. But when the pandemic hit, both myself and my wife were self-employed. And we suddenly found ourselves not only with time in our hands, but without any income. So uh, it was time to get um, creative. And I think was it the necessity is the mother of invention. Well, as far as I'm concerned, it's it's the mother of creation, uh, creativity as well. So I sat down and started thinking about it. I joined a Twitter group, which was for aspiring um, authors, which was fantastic. Um, and I watched other people start to do it and publish one. And they had amazing success straight off the bat. And I thought, oh, you know, maybe this is actually real. It's something I, I could do, not just sort of play with in, in my mind as a daydream. So I started writing and it actually really flowed. Um, and I've got a, a series called City General, which was the first series that I did. And I wrote the first, I think it was three and a half of them before I published anything. And I didn't go straight for publishing. What I did was I went and joined a book funnel promo. Um, so I joined it got a whole load of people who then followed me. I think it was about 900 people on my newsletter before I published a thing. And that gave me the confidence to go, do you know what, I'm going to actually publish that. So I published the same thing that I just promoted. And then every month, I think it was three weeks or a month, um, I then took what I'd already written and launched it again and again and again. And it, it went really, really well. So from there, I just didn't really stop, to be fair. There was a small hiatus last summer. I was I, I used to be, I'm now right full-time, but I used to be a wedding celebrant. So I would be conducting weddings during the summer um, because in Scotland, of course, a humanist marriage is legal up here. So I, I had, you'll see 
sort of peaks and troughs in my writing. Um, and it's when I've been out conducting weddings and things. So, oh, um, <laughs> yeah. So when I say I've, I've, I've always been a storyteller, um, I literally mean it. It's just normally been other people's stories that I've been telling. Now I'm, I'm telling ones that I make up instead. What was the best wedding you ever conducted? Oh, do you know, every one of them, you, I, it's, 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 that's like choosing your, your favourite child. Um, every one of them is just absolutely incredible. But I think one of the wonderful things about the pandemic was the numbers were smaller. And up here, you can get married anywhere. But with venues taken off the table, I have married people up mountains, on beaches, um, at the sides of lochs. And it has been maybe, at one point it was five people, then it went up to to 20 um, and they were really intimate affairs and they were properly about what, what it's about. It wasn't about your color of napkins or anything like that. It was about two people coming together um, and actually declaring their love in front of the people that, that genuinely matter the most to them in life. It, it was a fantastic time. Oh, um, wow. so. I love that. So, I mean, I love love. So, you know, <laughs> I love that so much. I, I think that's magical. I like actually kind of have goosebumps, like thinking about those weddings. And uh, yeah, I hate that we can't just get married anywhere. I mean, I fuck, fuck the rules anyway, but, you know, I, I would, I would have. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, I'm not even going to go there. Um <laughs> So that's so you must write quite quickly then. If you only started in the pandemic and you already have over 20 books, you must write pretty. So how many books a year are you doing? Uh, now it's, it's, I've completely slowed down. Uh, and, uh, most recently I've started looking at um, doing a series of psychological thrillers, which I've, which I've got a crime angle to them. Um, and the research is far more vast than romance was. Um, so it's slowed right down. Um, I think last year I put out four books. Um, so I had the first two years where they were, um, there's a lot of writing done then. But I had nothing else to do. And and really, when you after two weeks, I'd watched everything I wanted to see in Netflix. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <What's> the... <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then it's like, well, what else do you do? Yeah. Yeah. And, and it, was, it was the most wonderful escape from everything that was pandemic, you could take yourself off to another little world um, and just immerse yourself in it. Um, and once I get into the flow, I do write very quickly. Um, and now I actually do files, send them off and have them transcribed, which allows me to keep things a wee bit faster as well. Oh, you dictate? I dictate now, yes. I, I, I tried the software. The software did not work for me. Um, yeah. I think it's a Scottish accent that, that really knocked it. So now I actually have somebody who's um, in Australia, Lisa, who I send files across and um, she transcribes them for me and then sends them back and then I edit them. Is that Lisa Caro? It is, yes. Ah, the world is so small. I love this. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. Well, so I stumbled upon you. I don't even remember how I found you. And I accidentally read your books in the wrong order. So I read a particular um, series, An Awakening of Desire, which is a um, kind of sapphic erotic, uh, like contemporary series. And I think I read book two, book one, book three. Um, 
completely by mistake. I don't I don't know what happened. I just didn't even look at the number of the book. I just anyway, didn't didn't matter. I just binged them all anyway. Um and I loved them. And so that's that. And then we got connected, I think, on TikTok. So um, <laughs> we're going to talk about writing like a more erotic kind of on the BDSM side. But I know you wanted to talk about the fact that you don't, that's not really your brand or you don't really brand yourself as that. So I don't know if you wanted to elaborate a little bit. Um, yeah, I, I think, um, I was going to touch on, on this even later, but I, I think the, the the erotic genre is so wide. It's different. If you write romance, there's certain expectations that come with it. People, your reader expects there to be a happy ever after. They expect at some point there's going to be that little, um, it looks like they're not going to get together. You know, you hit 70% of the way through and it looks like all is lost. Um, when you say you, you write erotica, then you've got 101 different things that that could mean. It covers such a wide range of things. Um, and I always, I, I say I write, sapphic erotic romance which is quite a mouthful um but i've been put into the erotica camp before and the complaints that i get from people who read my books are there's not enough sex so you end up in this limbo land where you don't have enough sex for some people who think it's erotica but then you have this other camp and as soon as they read they, they, they read the word clit it's like oh my god i'm reading porn <laughs> oh god you're you're in this awful place where you just it's just such a wide definition and to everybody it's so subjective what mm. erotica is um so yeah that, that's why i i perhaps I'm a, wee, I'm a wee bit careful to clarify how i would classify it which is odd because i'm not somebody who goes for labels at all um i think you just take things as you find them and yeah yeah, you make what you can of them. So, what do you say? Like, uh, you write spicy romance, or um, the the majority of my stuff is steamy romance. Mm -hmm. um, this latest series, The Awakening of Desire, um, is I would probably say very spicy romance with a little bit of kink thrown in. So, your okay. your definition when you read it earlier was was bang on. It was perfect. Okay. Okay. <laughs> All right. So um, based on that series, then let's talk a little bit about writing the, on the more erotic side, the more kink side. Um, and mm. I wanted to first ask about marketing, because quite often you cannot market books with kink in them. Um, you, you know, people are put into the um, erotica dungeon on Amazon. Um, so I wondered if you could uh, talk a little bit about the difficulties of marketing your novels and, you know, maybe what methods and tactics you've used that have successfully worked to get around those issues. Um, absolutely. Uh, I, I use, when I market it, I, I market a lot around the characters and the plot, which is easy to do. But then you have this, you have to give people a warning so they don't stumble across quite a graphic sex scene when they're not expecting it um and i have had various warnings tiktok more than anywhere else for images of um a woman's bare stomach no. I, yeah i looked at it and i thought that's so inoffensive there's just nothing there that's, that's offensive about it but if you have if you do a series of images to promote a book and you have too much bare flesh and it doesn't happen it doesn't even matter where that flesh is 
if there's too much bare flesh, then all of a sudden it comes up with this warning. You know, you are now, you have a warning. Um, and if you get too many warnings, isn't it? They suspend you. So I had to be exceptionally good for about six months until this warning disappeared. Um, and it, to my mind, it was over something and nothing. But the, it's, it's a really, really sensitive area. And that's where um, I was thinking, but how did I get around it? And I thought, well, emojis were, were the main things. And it's amazing what a chili and an eggplant can do. Really. Yeah, 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 seriously. <laughs> Yeah, I end up putting like chilies and um, and um, like emojis and eggplants all over the place, and uh, and like putting dollar signs for S's and like all the bloody rest of it. And there's like a whole new but, language to learn on TikTok. There is, and um, unwittingly, I didn't know that language to begin with, and I was just using emojis. And actually, it was really quite suggestive, suggestive some of the stuff I was putting out, and that wasn't what I was trying to be. Mm. <laughs> so I, I ended up in some quite hot water with that but marketing is difficult and it is really easy to get yourself um banned or have people not promote your book as i.e amazon because they think it's it's too racy it's very very easy for that to happen um so i kind of went other places book funnel is a big one for me um and whether you're doing a sales promo or an email promo, um, building your own newsletter is fairly, well, I think it's vital for every author, but more especially when the platforms aren't always there to help you because they don't want to be seen to be promoting anything. It's too risky. Um, the other thing as well um, is I kind of built up a sort of, of the people who, do follow me and are in newsletters. I built up a sort of little group of ARC readers come super fans who are very active on um, social media platforms who then talk to other people and recommend your books and things like that. And that's worked to treat as well. So it's not so much advertising on the platform. I don't think you can really do sapphic advertising if I'm honest, no matter, even if you're, you're doing sweet romance, sapphic advertising is very, very difficult. But as soon as you enter the realm of um, very spicy or with a slight kink, then you need to come off the platforms and actually use other means to get there. But I, I tend to focus on the character and the plot and emojis when I am <laughs> using the platforms to get there. Okay. What What are some of the common myths or bugbears that annoy you, like around kink, around like erotica, BDSM, all of those kind of areas oh we could do an entire podcast just in this um do you know yeah I, I knew you were going to ask this question and, and i remember when i when i first started writing i came across this piece of advice and i had to go searching for it and i'm going to i'm going to read this because it incensed me at the time and this is a piece of advice that the uh, self-publishing resource has put out and it says outside of erotica Sex scenes can be used for developing character, progressing the plot, and revealing dynamics between characters. As with all sex scenes, a good sex scene will accomplish more than one thing, unless you're writing erotica. Genuinely, that is a self-publishing site. Oh my God. It's a resource. Um, and I read that and was absolutely incensed by it, but it absolutely highlights some of the problems with the way that people look at erotica as a genre. 
Um, and why a lot of people like myself say, well, actually, no, it's not erotica, it's erotic romance. Because you're trying to get away from a stigma that's there because the genre is so wide. Mm. Um, I mean, out of a 70, 75K you know, word book, I'll do four sex scenes in it. So the actual word count that re- that relates to sex is actually quite small. But when I go there, it might I be higher in, uh, in mine. And <laughs> that's not erotica. <laughs> <laughs> uh. But I think because I touch on, um, I, I, see, I wouldn't say they were taboo. I was going to say taboo, but I don't consider them to be slightly more risque topics than, than yeah, I kind of get put into that camp. But Anything everybody thinks- that isn't vanilla sex is considered taboo. That's the problem. Like literally, yeah. oh, you got spanked, did you? Oh, you're, oh, you're one of those people. Like, oh. it, that, that's exactly it. Yeah, that is, I mean? um... Oh, you use handcuffs, do you? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> A sex toy, how dare you? <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. The thing is, if you're trying to write different sex scenes, and keep it fresh and keep yeah. it lively and and a lot of what I do is is writing about the anticipation yeah and writing about it's, it's trying to sort of hook into people's fantasies and people don't that often fantasize about plain vanilla sex literally what? never did anybody ever <laughs> fantasize about fucking in a vanilla way like, who who wants vanilla sex i mean honestly i mean actually that's not true i shouldn't say that because some people i have met somebody who said they enjoy vanilla sex and i think that my mind shattered very hard and fast <laughs> at that point and so i was like oh i didn't know that that was a thing like i thought we all hated vanilla sex Apparently not. <laughs> oh my god, what am I doing? I hope my mum doesn't listen to this episode. <laughs> yeah, I was just thinking the same thing. I'm not. I'm not yeah. sure my parents have done this. <laughs> but, 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 but if you want to, if you want to hook into people's fantasies, then you need to push the boundaries. Yeah. Um, but erotica is not worthless writing, which is one of the things. It does have a storyline. Um, and, the, and the thing is, you don't start with sex. You don't start with a sex scene in mind and then build a story around that. Um, but I think the most, the, the worst myth um, that goes with erotica, and it, it always makes me laugh, is, and it goes, it's a two-sided coin. One, you write it because you're frustrated. Or two, you write about your life. Oh my God. Oh my God. The number of people that have been like, am I going to read this book and fight? And I'm like, no, like what's wrong with you? (laughs) Like, oh, anyway. Yeah. The number I have had that comment so many times, like people genuinely concerned that they're going to read Ruby Row and find like something mortifying in there. And I'm like, you lot are like, why would my fucking mum has a copy of the book? Do you really think that I'm going to put my sex life in there? Like, oh my God. Yeah. You're right. It's a murder mystery. There's no assumption that they're a murderer. I know. Why? 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 Like, yeah, exactly. I, I write about serial killers. Want to know why? Like, you know, <laughs> exactly. Like... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't know 
you, like, have you had any thoughts about why people do that? Uh, I don't know. Maybe some people, that's what they want to believe. I have no idea. Um, it, sometimes I, I wish parts of the book and the life that my characters have were mine. Yeah, yeah. Nice. <laughs> uh, yeah. But yeah, it's, and there's no middle ground to it. They either think it's 100% real or alternatively, this is where you want your life to be. There's, there's absolutely just no concept of fiction whatsoever in it. It's um, fucking mad. Like, it really... I mean, you. we kind of, I think a lot of authors experience it, no matter what what they write. I think, you know, mm. oh, you've written a book. Oh, was is it like, is it really a memoir? Is it really a self-insert? Like, we get that a lot. I think all authors mm. get that. But I do think it's worse when you write about sex. Okay, how do you approach the writing of erotic um, content? Like, what are some of the unique challenges that come with presenting books that do have kink in them? Um, I, I think one of the, the big challenges that comes with, with something like that is, is keeping it fresh um, because it's really easy. But let me, let, me, let me justify that a wee bit. It's keeping it fresh, but also keeping it within the realms of realism um, because you, you could go completely off-piste. But it has, it has to be believable to the character. So when you created this group of characters, you can't suddenly throw in something that's just completely outlandish because it, it wouldn't work and nobody would believe it. So you want to um, you want to keep it fresh. You want to keep it different, not keep repeating the same things because ultimately, the same with any book, you want your character to grow. It's just that a sex scene is one is, is one part of your toolkit in order to enable that growth. So you're not just seeing it out of the bedroom; you're seeing it in the bedroom or the kitchen or the bathroom or whatever they happen to be. But you, you need to you need to keep it fresh. You also need to balance it out with um emotion. So you 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 should never look at the sex scene as a as a sex scene on its own, if that makes sense. Even although people might be flicking pages to get to that bit. <laughs> I don't think that's the only thing they're flicking. <laughs> <laughs> oh no, I don't want to think about yeah, that. No, sorry. <laughs> Oh, I can't believe I said that. <laughs> oh, no, don't tell me that. <laughs> oh, anyway, this is why this podcast is explicit. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. <sighs> sorry. Let's, sorry, where no. were we? See, you don't, I'm a very visual person. You should never, ever give me any visual cues. Things like that. I apologise. <laughs> oh, dear. Yeah, I, I mean, I think that's why I enjoy reading it because of the power dynamics and like the, mm. you know, who's in control, who's giving control, um, trust and like that emotion in the scene. Like it feels amped that much more because people are submitting or they are dominating. And mm. like I, I think that actually takes a real art to get right and for it to be you know, um, shown in a healthy way as opposed to like mm. toxic relationships, which we saw proliferate in young adult fiction, you know, a few years ago. So, yeah, um, yeah I think it's it does take a real, um, a, a real art. Can you share some like tips and tricks for writing sex scenes that are both realistic and engaging with readers? Um, well, I think, I think one of the, the first thing is never write gratuitous sex. Just don't put it on the page. It, it has to be, it has to be authentic. It has to be part of their story. 
And ultimately, it absolutely and utterly has to take the plot forward. It has to be part of their development. And if it isn't, and you can't see how that's happening, then you're writing gratuitous sex. And that that just doesn't have a place on the page, as far as I'm concerned. So what are some of the consequences then? So like you have a sex scene and like, how would that impact somebody's character arc? Um, well, especially when, if you're looking at a power imbalance, you're looking at the dynamics of the relationship and you're looking at um, how it works within the bedroom, but you're also looking how it works out with, because you can't, you're not doing this in isolation. You're seeing how the characters work together. And especially if there's a power imbalance, it's all about communication and trust. And what you think is um, somebody holding power actually isn't. It's mm. not It's not as it seems. Um, and that's, that's where a lot of play can come into this. I think what, what I, I see now and again, and it, it frustrates me, and if I read it, is not balancing the emotion and it becomes more of a logistical thing. Like you're, you're writing a sort of Hayes manual on how to, to do a do up a, a Ford Transit or something. It, it, you have to have that balance of emotion and what's happening to put the reader in the scene. But if you do it and it's entirely about physically what's happening, then you're going to lose the reader straight away. Um, it's no different to any other scene. You want to immerse the reader in there. You want the reader to be in one of the the um, characters' heads, whoever they choose, whoever they naturally go to. And it's not always the person whose point of view you're writing it from. Um, I think one of the other things is is make it real, um, but not too real, because you know, um, sex can sometimes be messy. You don't want to get too messy, mm-hmm. um, but it can also be funny um, and don't lose the humour out of it because again that kind of makes it real and that's what people will understand and relate to um, so there's all these different things, well, the, the last one and this, this one, again it's stuff that I've read so it's quite funny um, make sure it's physically possible yeah <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I've seen authors use Barbie dolls like when you when they're writing Menage, they've literally <laughs> used Barbie dolls to try and work out whether or not it is logistically possible. But when you get beyond two, there are a lot of <laughs> limbs to juggle in these sex scenes. Oh, the, the, the number of the, 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 Angie, my my wife will love this, but um, well, she won't. Um, <laughs> the number of times I've gone right now. If you just go there and you're imagining like a game of Twister, now put your arm there. <laughs> oh, I haven't written Menage, so I don't like I haven't come across that challenge, but maybe one day, maybe one day. It's um you have to sit down and you have to think about it. Yeah. And I think that's that's where my other point comes in, because you are sitting down and thinking about what is realistic and what what isn't and what can be done and what can't. You've also got to think about it on the other level, not just what physically is possible, but to keep your characters authentic, what would they do and what wouldn't they do and how would each of them feel in that position or not the same position, but in that in that situation. Um, and if you don't do that, you're going to lose it. So you're juggling so many things. 
um, as well as trying not to use the word she too much and their names not too much, yeah. especially when they're all same sex. It's, yeah, it's a, <laughs> yeah, it's that a is a nightmare. <laughs> okay, what are some com- uh, common mistakes that authors make when writing about sex um, and kink and how can they be avoided? Um, well, the gratuitous part we've already talked about. Um, forgetting the emotion as well. Kind of already mentioned that. Um, because it's never just a physical act. Um, and it's, well, I, I'm saying that I, I write sapphic. So as far as, in my opinion, I don't think it is ever just a physical act. Um, and I think a lot of my readers anyway would agree with that. So I, I think these are these are two biggies. Um, and I think when you start writing, you start including kink a little bit into it as well. Um is have respect for your characters and have, because if you have respect for your characters and for the way you're writing it, you want somebody to immerse themselves in that character. If you don't have respect for the character, you don't have respect for your reader. Um, and I think that's, um, I think that's actually a really important point. It's not a funny one, but it's a very important one. What does respect look like for your character? Um, well, a lot of it is is about um, consent, authenticity, consent, honesty, communication, trust. These these are all big ticket items. Um, and I think if I was, I think probably I'm more aware of it because you're putting characters into a very vulnerable situation. Because for a lot of people, that that is when they're at their most vulnerable. And I think that's true of characters too. And because you're putting them into that situation, you're writing about that, then all these big ticket items come into play. And you actually have to be very aware of it as you're, as you're writing it. Um, and if you start writing a sex scene without taking that in, then it's A, it's gratuitous, but, but B, I don't think you're showing your characters the respect that they deserve. You're not showing the readers. You've got to invest a lot of it, uh, yourself into it. Let's talk a bit more about that and consent specifically. Mm. Like, how do we do consent without pulling the reader out of the moment? And I suppose, like, where it's, um, like, and warning now, we are going to talk about more difficult topics for, I will make a point of making a comment about this before in the intro to this episode. But, you know, where where it is non-con or dubious consent, like what is important to do in terms of like communicating that then to the reader in terms of content warnings and trigger warnings and stuff? So, yeah, I think it's a two pronged question. The first one is like, how do we do consent in the book without pulling the reader out? And then how do we communicate anything that we should in terms of like um, kink and trigger warnings and consent uh, and uh, content warnings and stuff to readers? Okay, um, I'll start with the first bit first. Um, I happen to think that consent is quite sexy. So do I. Oh, my God, so do I. It's just consent is sexy, respect is sexy. Um, And and oddly, and people might find this, because I I touch into kink, kindness is sexy. So all of these things are really good things, and they're things that people engage with. So to I, I use them to enhance the scene. And I don't feel that it pulls the reader out of it as long as it's done in character. So some of the things that I'll do is the safe words that the characters will use will be very in line with the characters. So it'll mean something to them. And sometimes if you don't Google it, you'll never know why it's important to them. 
but I'll use something funny or very appropriate. And that just reinforces who it is that's involved in it. Um, so I tend to use that, but reflecting the personality is a huge part of it. Um, I think a lot of what I do is also, um, it's very psychological based rather than physical acts. You might disagree with that, but most most of the power dynamic that's there is psychological. That's how I've written it. And for me, the line between fantasy and reality isn't a thin one. Um, it's actually huge. Um, and you'll see before they go into any scene, it gets talked about and there's openness and um, it can be stopped at any point. And this is where the power dynamics that I touched on earlier really come into play because the person who looks as if they're in charge actually isn't. They're not the one that holds the power. And it's, it's a great way of writing a scene because you play with that dynamic and you start to bring it out in different ways in what they do. Some parts in dialogue and some parts in the way they behave yeah. or the thoughts that they're having. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that's really important when you write it is whose point of view are you writing that chapter or that scene from? Because if you want to show growth in a particular character, it doesn't have to be that character's point of view that you write the chapter from. Sometimes just having the, their partner or opposite or sub or dom or whatever it happens to be, having them actually watch the change in behavior is a much stronger way of portraying it. But that line between fantasy reality isn't thin. It, it's, a, it's a bloody great motorway as far as I'm concerned. Um, and I make that quite clear, but do it in a way that is very much, you set it up first and then go into it. Um, but, and especially in the last one I've done, there's the, we, we touch on the, what if you go too far? But not in a bad way. So we, we bring that in a wee bit as well. So oh, yeah. stop teasing me. You're teasing me. Um, I can't wait. <laughs> but I don't I don't do non-consexual or dubious consent because I don't think I actually don't think dubious consent exists. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. I don't think it's it's a real thing. I don't um, read it either. I, I'm not no. I, and I've got not and I'm not kink shaming. I think, you know, I know a lot of survivors you know, they get something therapeutic from reading it. And I think it needs to be in the world, but I'm mm. just, I don't want, I don't want to read it. So um, I, but for the reason that I find consent very hot. Yeah. And, like, and genuinely, is, like I find it, it hot. Is. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's each to their own. And exactly. Um, yeah. You've got to find your own place. Yeah. Okay, how do you balance the need for like, ex or like, what do you do to balance the need for explicit content with strong plot and character development? Like, what tips would you give to other writers for for balancing that? Um, do you know, I'm going to go right back to basics and, and writing with this, and just say start with your character. Because when I started the series, um, the only idea that I had was. I wanted to play around with building sexual tension. And it's a great way of doing it is to, to, to throw a couple of people into a scenario that's actually sex orientated, but not set up for the two of them to have sex. Um, so if you've read, um, may I call you mistress, you'll know what I'm talking about. Um, if you haven't, then it's available on Amazon. 
Um, but essentially, start with your character. Find out what your characters are, know what your characters' flaws are, know where they want to be. Even if they don't know it, then you should know it. And then work out a plot line that's going to take you there and, and give them that development that they need. And then use the sex scenes as a toolkit to get that way, to get them there, rather. Um, because I think that will automatically bring in a balance to what you're doing, as long as it's plot-driven and as long as it's character-driven. Um, a lot of people who have read my series are not people who would read kink in any way. They didn't come to my writing via Awakening of Desire. They came via um, maybe a, a, a never-increasing um, level of steam in my romances. Um, so when they have come along on the journey, I've taken them to somewhere they wouldn't normally go. You know, funnily but, enough, <clears throat> I think your books were the first kink books I ever read. Oh, were they? Maybe, no, maybe I read a Katie Robert book, but definitely like sapphic wise. And now I'm like, oh my God, this is so hard. I want to read lives. Like I'm just binging everything I can get my hands on. Well, I have to say, if, if, if anybody likes the style that I do, then um, Anna Stone, Brenda yeah. Murphy. Who? Uh, Brenda? J touches on it. Brenda Murphy. Okay, that's a new one for you, me. Yeah, no, write that one down. Brenda Murphy is very good. Um, you will, you will, if you, if you enjoy, if you enjoy Awakening of Desires, then you'll like Brenda Murphy's books. Um, yeah, so the, a lot of people had never read Kink and then they come into it, but they're there for the storyline and, and they actually find themselves um, sort of in a place that they wouldn't normally be. But if you, if you take it slowly and you do it step by step, then it just feels very natural. Like this is where they're supposed to be and you just go with it. So I think a lot of it comes from questions I ask myself about the characters, the flaws. What would it take for them to get from there to there? Um, what would be their norm? So therefore, what isn't their norm? All, all things like that. Okay, so let's say um, somebody is not in the BDSM world. They're not mm. kind of in the kink world. How do they um, do research and make sure that what they're writing is informative you know, and doesn't, uh, you know, bring about myths and and misinformate, bring misinformation into the community because you know there's a lot of a lot of new language. There's a lot of like cultural practices that are you know like aftercare. That's you don't get that mm. in a normal romance. Um, mm. So how could somebody do research to ensure that they're being um, accurate with what they're portraying? Well, I, I think the first the first thing to point out is that um, good research, where you validate, you know, what, what you're going out, you, you validate what you find um, from more than one source, is very important. Um, you wouldn't you wouldn't do it for any other. Sorry, start again. Put my teeth back in. I think research is really important, and I don't think we should undervalue the research that goes into it. For any other community, you wouldn't actually go out and start writing about a community of people without trying to understand them first. And that's where your research comes in. So um, I did mine by reading. Um, I, I have got a very interesting Google search history. <laughs> <laughs> 
I bet you have. Mine's terrible. Like I'm like, please don't let my son go. Well, I actually now have to have um, my son stand at the door um, and ask oh. to come into my office because I'm writing such explicit steam. There are times, you know, like where he'll just barrel in and start, and he's extremely intelli- intelligent. And so he'll just he'll be like, "Mummy, what's?" And I'm like, "Don't get out! Get out!" <laughs> I won't swear at him, obviously, but like in my head, I'm screaming like alarm, alarm, alarm. So he has to sit at the door now and ask if he can come in, poor little thing. Uh, but the, the thing is that when you're writing it, um, there actually comes a point where it's very odd. When you're writing it and you're researching it and all that sort of thing, you get very immersed in that world until it, it seems normal. And you forget that if somebody walks in, actually seeing one of these um, vacuum bondage bags, that blew my mind. That's the first time I ever read that. I was like, wait, what? <laughs> but I have to say, I had to go for that. Um, I had to go and watch. I, I came across them. And I thought, oh, that's interesting. And I thought I could use that, not just for what it's intended, but I could actually use that as, as part of the plot line. Um, but in order to understand how they worked, I had to Google it. And I had to look at videos. And I have to say, every so often, I hit something that you just go, oh. Um, and it might not be your thing, um, but you do have to treat it with respect. Yeah, and I would yeah. say that just because it's not your thing doesn't mean that it's it's wrong or whatever. It's just somebody gets a real kick out of that. And that's fine. Um, but sometimes you do end up looking at things or watching things and go, Oh, I don't know how I feel about that. And there's my line. (laughs) (laughs) That's the line I'm not crossing. (laughs) Like one of the things that I love, like since I started writing steamier romance, I have joined lots of reader groups on Facebook and all of them, like anybody, if you go into a romance Facebook group, they are all very, very clear that there is no kink shaming allowed. And like, Mm. I don't think I have ever experienced such acceptance and inclusivity like I you know Mm -hmm. I haven't really posted in in these groups but I I get a lot of kicks out of watching people come up with these bizarre things that I've never heard of and actually everyone's like yeah here's a wreck here's a wreck here's another wreck and I'm like yeah like everybody's getting what they want like this is amazing I just love like how welcoming the community is like yeah I just think it's fantastic it really like I get a lot of joy from seeing like people not be shamed Yes, and the thing enjoy. is, that, yeah, because as a community, they are um, between themselves very open. And if you get invited in to something like that, so you can talk to people, um, they will tell you everything that you want to know. Mm. Um, and I ask, obviously, given the careers and stuff that I've done before, asking quite, um, I don't know, intimate questions is something I've always done. So it, it, I just do the same thing here because. If I want to portray um, some of the relationships or some of the situations authentically and honestly, then I need that information. And that's where the respect comes in. If you have the respect for, for your readers, your characters, then and the people that you're getting the information from, you won't make that assumption. You will ask that question. Okay. Well, and I, I, I've already said this, but one of the things that I do love about... Um, 
you know, the steamier end of romance is the power imbalance and the consensual power imbalance. Mm. Um, And so I wondered if you could give some tips and advice to writers listening. What are some of the best practices for writing about power dynamics and consent? Um, But as we've said before, I think consent is really, really sexy. So um, use it to enhance your seat. Actually bring it out and um, don't be shy with it. Make it part of the, almost like the foreplay when you write it. But understand the psychology and the dynamic of your characters and the scene that it's in, and that is fundamental. If you understand the psychology behind it, um, then it's it's really easy to bring out that power dynamic. And then you're thinking, um, a lot of it is, is show not tell in these circumstances, because you want to, what's the little nuances they do behaviour-wise that reinforces what you're looking for. Um, because what you're, and, and this does go to the perception versus reality about who holds the power. Because the sub will always hold the power. They ha- they're the ones that can stop the game at any moment. But in saying that, one of the things I'm quite clear about when um, I write the scenes is that it isn't just the sub that will have a safe word. Because there can be some things that um, a sub might request that might not be comfortable for the person who is dominating the scene or dominating the person, in which case they need a safe word as well. So um, I think that all comes into it. So you, you're, you're trying to convey that this is a balance between the two characters and in the dynamics that are there. Um, and I think you get that by understanding psychology, but also understanding the community as a whole and understanding how things work. Um, and as long as it's consensual, legal and respectful, you can't really go wrong. These are sort of the things that you're after. Um, yeah, I, I, there's a lot of what I write highlights about the communication and the honesty and trust that goes in it. And as you said, when you've gone in and you're researching things like that and you've gone into the community, um, you tend to find that the level of communication that they have and the honesty they have um, is really refreshing and quite exhilarating. And it's 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 something everybody thinks, that, oh, this is a nasty little secret. Actually, it's not. In these communities, they are very open, they're very honest um, and very accepting. Um, my listeners are going to roll their eyes at this point, um, but everybody drink. Have you heard of Clifton Strengths? I haven't, no. Ah, I, you talk about communication so passionately. I'm like, I'm desperate to know if communication is one of your top strengths, but uh, it, I, I will explain to you what it is afterwards if you, because you don't know, otherwise we'll end up into a whole a whole thing that listeners have to listen to me talk about it all the time. Um, okay, so I think my last question before I ask you the ultimate podcast question is, what advice do you have for writers, aspiring writers who want to write more kink or kind of more on, on the erotic end of the spectrum? Um, start with a character, know their flaws, um, and work out what journey they want to take them on. But use the sex scenes as part of your toolkit. Don't don't ever write a sex scene without having a purpose behind it and it actually developing the plotline that you have or allowing the character to either one or both of the characters to understand a little bit more about themselves 
because essentially that's what a lot of this is. It's about exploring your boundaries and exploring um, your personalities and what really gets you going, I suppose. Um, but I suppose my view might be a little bit controversial. Other erotica authors might not agree, but I always say, actually, don't start with the sex, ironically. <laughs> okay, this is the Rebel Author Podcast. So tell everyone about a time you unleashed your inner rebel. Um, you know, I, I'm very, very bad at following rules unless I understand them and agree with them. Uh, and we often watch these, you know, these um, SAS Who Dares Wins and the Netflix Prison Inmate show. We, we, we often watch these and my, my wife, Angie, will look at me and she'll go, you wouldn't last five minutes. And it's actually quite true because I'd be like, no, right, no, okay. So just let me get this right. Yeah. This is what you want me to do and why? Um, so, yeah, I, I, I'm never very good at it. As far as I, I, books are concerned, um, there are two really good bits. Um, where I, well, I, I suppose I, I suppose I'm slightly rebellious. One of them, when I first started out, I hid my identity. Um, so I, nobody knew that I, I was a humanist celebrant. Um, so I had these very two different characters. One was this steamy erotic romance writer, and the other one was going out and climbing a hill and marrying people. Um, and I didn't connect the two at all. And it was for me, it was really uncomfortable. And it was probably the worst piece of advice that I had ever been given. Because um, slowly but surely, I started connecting the two. And it doesn't take um, Clouseau to actually work out one's a pen name and what my real name is. It, it really doesn't. And I don't hide it anymore. So it's there to be found if anybody wants it to be found. It has allowed my writing to improve massively. massively. It has made marketing far, far easier. Um, so I've rebelled against that initial piece of advice, I suppose. Pen names are great, but don't, don't ever divorce the pen name and the writer from you. Because it, it, in, my, in my opinion, it doesn't work. The second one, um, which is, again, book-related, which is, this might be slightly different. Don't use the same pen name to write different genres. Oh. <laughs> now, yeah. do you know what? I have written, um, I started off with romance, then erotic romance. Um, then I went on and did some sci-fi mystery, which had a slight romance tinge to it. Um, and then went into um, erotic romance with kink. So I've covered quite a fair gambit. And do you know what? They've actually got a point. Don't use the same pen name. Because um, two of the books that I had really, really good fun writing were the sci-fi mystery. And don't get it, don't get me wrong, it was, there was still very steamy scenes in them. Um, but they made remarkably less money than everything else because I had taken all my readers on this um, steamy romance journey and then suddenly I was throwing in sci-fi. And it turns out that readers really like to know what they're going to get before they get it. And the, the leap from sort of steamy romance to erotic romance with a bit of kink wasn't that big a leap. And I could probably got away with that. 
but don't throw a sci-fi mystery into the middle of what you're doing because you'll never ever see the returns in that. Mm-hmm. Definitely set up a new, but I did that. That's why I have the Ruby name is, is because it's a completely different uh, genre. Uh, I love yeah. that. Okay. Tell everyone where they can find out more about you, your books, um, anything else that you would like to add? Um, they, you can find me at rubyscott.com. You can also find me on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok. Um, all at rubyscott.author with a little at sign at the beginning. Um, I've also ventured back onto Twitter because I had a, a little hiatus from that and I've gone back on there. So there's really, um, I'm very findable if you want to find me. Um, but my books are wide. You can also find them on Amazon. You could find them on um, Apple, Google Play, Smashwords. Um, and I would say all decent bookstores, but I'm not quite there yet. Amazing. Well, thank you so much for your time today. And of course, a gigantic thank you to all of the show's listeners and all of the show's patrons. If you would like to get early access to all of the episodes, as well as a bunch of bonus content, then you can by visiting patreon.com forward slash Sasha Black. I'm Sasha Black. You are listening to Ruby Scott. Maybe I should do that differently. I'm Ruby Rowe and you are listening to Ruby Scott. (laughs) And this was the Rebel (laughs) Author Podcast. Next week, I have an absolute titan in the industry coming on the show. I have TJ Clune, and we are going to be talking all about how to create unforgettable characters. Now, I'm going to apologise in advance, and I will do this in the intro as well. I had the biggest clusterfuck (laughs) before recording with TJ I think I've ever had before an episode. He... Um, so my internet went down 20 minutes before uh, the episode and I ended up having to record in my neighbour's kitchen because they were with a different internet provider. So um, I don't know yet what the quality of the audio is going to be, but I'm very much hoping that you'll stick with me because it's TJ Clune. Um So yeah, join me next week for that. Don't forget to tune in and subscribe on your podcatcher. And when you have a moment, please leave a review.